Okay, good morning everyone. You here alright? So welcome to the summer break and uh, we're doing a new series this morning. I think the slide's just going to come up. Um, this morning we're starting a new series that we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. Others are going to develop it after me. And uh, it's an introduction to the parables, the parables of Jesus. Uh, Kingdom Stories is, is the subtitle. Um, and uh, I'm going to do an introduction this morning, uh, talk a little about, bit about what parables are. So welcome, welcome to the series. And uh, so I want to start with just, uh, I'm going to just give you an idea where I'm going this morning. I'm just going to talk about uh, why the parables, why are we doing the parables, what's the point of doing the parables. Uh, then I want to look, by starting in Matthew 13, deliberately chose Matthew 13 because it's the first parable in the book of Matthew. Um, and that will really set us up for the series by explaining what a parable is and why Jesus used them at that time in his ministry. Um, and uh, th- at that point, I'm, I'm going to sort of take this theme of, are you listening? Are you really listening? That's kind of my title. And then for the last part, we're going to look at the actual explanation of the parable. So we're going to look at um, the parable in Matthew 13 and just look at the explanation. Um, so that's where I'm going this morning. So why, why, why do the parables? Three reasons. Okay, the first one's easy. If you've got a, an old school Bible and it's got red letters, then it, all, of all the red letters, these are the words that Jesus spoke, roughly a third of those will... I don't know Greek, but I can get it out of book. Um, the Greek word is parabol, O-L-E on the end, placing beside, like a comparison or an illustration. That's kind of where it's going, but that's a bit weak. So here's some other people, what they say about parables. Dodd, this is... Uh, a commentator, they get our attention by their strangeness and leave the mind in sufficient doubt about its application to tease it into thought. So in other words, they're, they're meant to provoke you into thinking a bit. And Mason, another commentator, uh, the true parable is not an illustration to help you through a theological discussion. It's actually a mode of religious experience. Okay, what's that? I think what he means is that they should go deep into your thinking and affect your faith. They should provoke a reaction from you and get you to engage with what Jesus has for you. It's an experience. It's not just words that go in one ear and out the other. They really draw you in. And I think we'll stop there with that. Um, I think we need to look at one to kind of really understand it. But finally, what a parable is about, this is important as well, Uh, The section we're going into in Matthew 13 begins a whole chunk in Matthew. And a parable simply, and these are Jesus' words, we'll read it in a minute, a parable is an explanation of a kingdom truth. So Jesus used parables to teach you about his kingdom. And uh, you can see it easily, because in Matthew 13, and you can read this yourself, this is a homework maybe, um, and all the parables from there on go, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, so go away and read these, perhaps, a bit of homework. It's like weeds, mustard seed, yeast, treasure, pearls, fishing net, camel and a needle, landover, banquet. There's more. There's lots of them. Um, in fact, there's, it's debatable how many there are. It depends how you define them. But there could be around 52. Uh, there's, there's, there's certainly around 30 in Matthew. And a lot of them are repeated in Mark and Luke. But you won't find any parables in John. John has a completely different approach to explaining Jesus' ministry, and John focuses on the Holy Spirit more. So you'll find the parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and uh, scholars think that they had a similar source that they were drawing from when they wrote that. So 
Um, I want you to use your imagination this morning. So, you know, it's a summer holiday, so we won't do any more heavy theology. Let's just kind of be imaginative a bit. Um, If we're going to experience the parable, let's put ourselves in the shoes of the listener. So, it's Palestine, 28 AD. You've been working really hard this week. It's been a busy season, really busy period, and you finally caught up on some of the jobs around the house and the fields, and you've got a, a break. You can take a bit of a breather today, this morning. And for months in the village that you live in, you've heard nothing except news, gossip, outrageous stories, controversy around a person named Jesus. And he lives in the town below your village. You're up in the hills in a farming community, and down in the hills below is a town called Capernaum on the Lake of Galilee. And uh, you, you look down over that from the hills, a very beautiful, uh, very fruitful area, a really rich farming community, kind of a, a breadbasket for the region. And uh, you don't often go in the town, but it's a very nice town on the, on nestled just next to the lake in the north end. And uh, you think today you want to find out for yourself about this man. You, you want to go down. You've heard, this is what you've heard. You've heard stories about crowds listening to this Sermon on the Mount that was such a severe teaching, it was too much, even for the Pharisees. They were like put in their place. They couldn't live up to that. And then there's healings. A man who has seizures was healed. Uh, There's this beggar you see when you go into town who lives outside the gates begging. And he was healed. He's gone now. A friend tells you about a centurion who buys produce from his farm. And this guy says his servant was healed. And these are rumors, fake news. What's going on? Is this real? Shockingly, your cousin. Okay, you go frequently to the synagogue with your cousin, and and you don't always make it, but he was telling you the other week that the ruler of the synagogue had a daughter. This daughter was ill for months, but, you know, you don't feel great about this, and and the daughter has died. And this caused shock and sadness in the community. But more so, at the funeral, Jesus turns up, and he walks in, and against all kind of sensitivity, he dismisses all of the musicians and the mourners, the professional mourners. He gets rid of the crowd and real disruption going on at the funeral. And then he reaches down, takes the hand of the girl who is dead, lying there for people to repay their respects. And he lifts her up and she's alive. And this is a shock. This reaches the whole region. Everyone's talking about this event and what happened. And it's kind of a shock, but a celebration because she's alive. And this teaches in the town below, so you want to see for yourself. Maybe a healing, a a duel with the Pharisees. You you pick up your stick, your cloak. You put away your tools, your matlock and your hoe that you use for breaking down the soil as you plow. And uh, you put your tools back. The animals are fed. They're going to rest. And uh, you've got a journey down through the fields. You zigzag your way through the fields. Um, and these are rich farmland, but, but there's, there's uh, paths that weave their way through. That the, the soil is hard and compacted on the path because everyone walks it. It's hard to walk across a field because it's rough. And so you walk on the hard, narrow, compacted path that weaves its way through the fields, through the fig trees and the fruit trees at the top of the valley, through the fields of barley and uh, corn and things. 
And at the edge of the field, the ground's rough, so you avoid it. You snake through the rocks on the hard path. And uh, and as you drop down through the valley, after about an hour or so's walk through the terraces, you begin to see something on the lake. And there's a boat just at the edge of the lake. There's a boat just anchored next to the shore outside the town. And around it is a mass of people. And you've got to make a decision. It's a quick decision. You look, and you're like, lake town, lake town, which path? And you want, you want to go. You think, that, that could be the man. Why would there be so many people crowded around a boat, looking and listening to something? Something's going on. You want to know. And you want to find out what's going on. So you make a snap decision. You say, okay, we'll do that path. You scramble over the rocks, over a field boundary, There's the rough edge around the edge of the field where it's not been ploughed or treated. There's thistles and thorns and they scratch your legs. You just kind of, you don't want to walk across the field because it's freshly sown and ploughed, it's harder. So you walk around the edge of the thistles and thorns, scratching your legs, tearing your clothes until you pick up another path, a hard, worn path that goes down on a shortcut to the lake. So you go directly to the lake to avoid the town, hopefully getting there quicker to hear the teacher. And you're full of anticipation. You get there, and the crowds are big, and you sit at the edge, just at the edge, far away from the boat, but you can just hear, you can just hear the words that Jesus says. And this is Matthew 13, 1 to 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him, that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil, It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So how are your listening skills? I don't know how good you are at listening. Um, I'm not going to do a quiz on that, don't worry. Um, But if you're like me, sometimes you have a lapse in your listening and your concentration. I get berated for this at home. Um, There was the occasion when um, I was talking to my daughter in the kitchen, and uh, she was giving me a, a long debrief on a teenage situation, friendships, all these things, and... And I was kind of agreeing, um, as you do, humming along and grunting as I looked at my iPhone screen. And then uh, the kind of the pen dropped and she realized that I hadn't heard a word. And to this day, I'm still in trouble about that moment. I get endless grief about this because I wasn't listening properly. I, I don't know what it was to this day. I have no idea. Um, but it was obviously important to her and I, I missed it. Bad dad. Um, so I don't think I'll recover from that. And... Uh, and then in a, a legendary event in my house, I did the shopping 
for my wife. I do that. I do help around the house. And I took the shopping list. And, uh, you know, it was milk, bread, I got everything, and I'm just going around. Maybe it was late at night, and I put my headphones on. It's a bit quieter. And I get to the biscuit aisle, and I read the list, and the list says, six packets of nice biscuits. So I look, and I find these biscuits. They're, like, rectangular, shaped with sugar on top, and uh, they've got this frilly edge, and it says, nice. So I buy six packets of nice biscuits. And my kids were like so rude when I got home because they had to eat these for about a month. And they wanted like round ones with cream in and jam. And, and I, I did what was on the list, yeah? I did what you said. And it said six packets of nice biscuits. Maybe it should have been in block capitals or little case. And, you know, I, but I, I was in trouble again because I didn't listen. Um, but I don't know if you, you, sometimes you don't hear things properly. Eh? You try and you're listening, but maybe it's like in one ear, out the other. Maybe you heard, but you, you, you kind of didn't get the point. Um, you're in good company, and it's not just me. Yeah? Um, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus wants us to listen and listen properly. And uh, he's not really referring to the people at the edge of the crowd, the people far away, because you're sitting at the back and you can't hear properly. It's not about that. Jesus means a lot more than that, a lot, lot more. It's the kind of listening that involves the whole of who we are. He wants us to really engage with what he's talking about. He wants it to go deep into who we are. And you can't actually blame Jesus for this gentle rebuke or the challenge that he gives, okay? Let's, let's go on some evidence. You see, really, like my misunderstanding of the wife's shopping list and not listening to my daughter, Jesus is frequently not heard. He's sometimes misunderstood, often ignored. People don't listen. We can take examples, even with the disciples. Because you can't feel smug sitting here in church, okay? I mean... There is the picture of the sower. There's people who don't listen and they walk away and they reject Jesus. Yeah, sure. That's definitely the case. But even for those of us who are sitting in church listening, are you really listening? Like me with the biscuits, am I really listening? When Jesus prophesies his death, Peter, who's hung out with him and should know all about him from the miracles, Peter rebukes him for being morbid. Don't be morbid, Jesus. But we know what happened, Mark 8. And when the disciples learn and see his power and authority, two of the brothers start having a big fight and cause a great uproar because they want the most powerful position with him. Power is something they see as earthly. And then when Jesus says to them, you've got to drink my cup, they think he's talking about his drinking vessel. Big misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah, we can drink your cup, Jesus. And he's talking about his death. Mark 10. Twice they mistake him for a ghost, on the, walking on the water, and then after the resurrection, in the room. Mary thinks he's the gardener in the garden. Once he's died, she goes in the garden, she's hung out with him, she knows him. She thinks he's a gardener. And then this is kind of funny. You think the Bible doesn't have humor in it, go to Mark 8, 14. Jesus is sending out his disciples, us, to go and preach and teach in the villages around And uh, he he says to them as they walk away, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And he's talking about the growth and the influence of their teaching, how insidious it was. 
And the disciples are like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, okay. We forgot our lunch. They're thinking about their sandwiches. Lunch is always a distraction. In fact, the disciples are so slow on the uptake that in Matthew 15, Jesus says this. Why are you so dull? Why are you so dull? It's not really a fridge magnet, is it? You put words of Jesus, why are you so dull? We are. We're dull. Are we really listening? Do we really understand? We're bad at listening. And worse than that, we're really bad at letting it affect us and go right in there. We hear the words, but it's a bit of a la-la-la. We don't really get it. So, if Jesus is saying we're not listening, why does he make his teaching so oblique? Parables are even less direct, even less clear. So why does he do that? So Matthew 13, the disciples ask him that, and Jesus gives them the answer. So we'll read Matthew 10, Matthew 13, 10 to 16. It's a continuation. I'm just reading straight through Matthew 13, so we'll carry on. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because you see, and your ears, because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. There's a lot in that passage. We'll just pick off a few points. See, up to that point, Jesus' teaching was very direct and confrontational. It was really in your face. And he provoked response. He had showed very dramatic things about who he was. He showed his power over nature, his power over the spiritual realm, demonic possessions. He showed his power over physical illness and the power over death. Yet... Whole cities had outright rejected him. Matthew 11:20. The religious establishment plotted to kill him. Matthew 12:14. And Jesus wanted to explain so much more, but the response was so negative. He knew his words were misconstrued, his words were misunderstood, and ultimately his words were used really against him. They'd take what he said, turn it around right back at him. And ultimately, that resulted in his death. And Jesus' answer to that hatred and that rejection was to teach in parables. 
and he switched at that point in his ministry to the parables. That meant that the parables immediately gave no direct words for his enemies to use against him. They couldn't start quoting him and use these words against him. So it slowed down the reaction there. Also, parables are simple, actually. They're very simple. Jesus is teaching us for everyone. It wasn't for the Pharisees. It wasn't complicated theology. Jesus wanted simple pictures. And in a culture that relied on the oral tradition, you would go home and talk about it. You'd get that teaching. You'd remember it. And you'd go home and talk to people about it. Share it with everyone. Discuss what it means. Much more than the long discourses of the Sermon on the Mount, they were visual, accessible. And also, parables were there to engage only the really sincere listeners. Because if you really wanted to engage Jesus' teaching, you'd be asking more questions. What did it mean? What's going on? What does this mean for me? Explain the story. So it's not really about hiding truth. Some people sort of go down that line. But I think it's, it's about raising your curiosity, challenging you to engage Jesus more deeply. And as you seek, you get the understanding. Only those who seek, Jesus says, get the understanding. And the language Jesus uses to explain this is very beautiful. Briefly, this is something called an inverted parallelism. I got that out of the book. <laughs> um, it's, it's God's judgment. And you can see it on the PowerPoint slide. I put it in, in a deliberate format here. And it goes down. It's about God's judgment. Then there's a turning. Then there's God's mercy. And as you read through it, you can paraphrase it. You can say, You're, you hear me. You're not engaging. You don't understand. You're not listening. But when you do, there's the turning. The middle of the passage there. And the moment you start to listen... God's mercy comes into your life. You begin to understand him, and you're on that journey of receiving his healing and his goodness into your life, his mercy. Judgment comes. As you turn, you receive his mercy just by listening and responding. So what do you make of the parable of the sower? So you've come all this way, you've walked all the way through the hills to hear this parable, and maybe you're a bit puzzled. You remember it, and you're going to take this story home to your kids. And you might talk to your wife and the people in the village who were working, and they want to know, what did you hear? What did he say? You're talking about Jesus, and you're like, well, you know, I know a lot about farming. I'm a farmer. I've spent, I've slogged it this last few months working. I've ploughed. I've sown, and, and a sower knows that you sow first, you cover the ground in the seed, and then you plough it in. You plough afterwards. This is the old way they would do it. And you do that to get the seed deep into the soil. Turning the soil with the seed folds the seed right deep down into the ground. Sometimes you would even let the animals in. You'd let all of the animals in to a bit of fertilisation, but it would press, the hooves of the animals would just press the word deep into the soil. The hooves would press it down as they walked across the ground. But then, some oddities. Why chuck the seed everywhere? Wouldn't you be careful? You're not going to chuck it on the path and in the weeds. Wasteful. And what about the increase? For all of that kind of careless work, 
for all the hard work you put in, carefully sowing, this guy chucks it everywhere and gets this disproportional increase. Puts seed everywhere, and then he doesn't get back what he put in. He gets 30, 60, 100-fold. How does that happen? You put in 10 seeds. What, you get 100 back? More than that? That doesn't work. It's not maths. Wasteful. So let's read the explanation of what Jesus meant when he talked about the parable of the sower. Because Jesus' disciples took him aside and asked him, and they recorded for us what he said. Matthew 13, verse 18 to 23. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word. They receive it at once with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. I don't know how familiar you are with that parable. There's a lot of ways we can take this, and it's a rich area just to dwell on, so do take some time to think about it and apply it to your life. But I'm going to use four points from Ken Bailey's book, Poet and Peasant. He was writing in the 70s. He knew the culture well and really dissects Jesus' parables. The first point is the parable speaks of God's grace. God is so graceful, gracious, And he's so generous. The field is the whole world. And Jesus, and he wants us to do this too, he is liberal with where he sows his word, everywhere. He's not careful and conservative. He throws the seed around. He spreads it out. Generous and gracious. Even to unfruitful ground. Shocking to someone who's so cautious and so careful. Secondly, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven in your life, in my life, in the world around us, is like a slow-growing seed. It's not like an apocalyptic disruption, a massive event that throws the order out. You need God's word to come deep into your life and grow slowly, to germinate, to mature. You need to give it routine care, attention, so it will grow and flourish. Soil is kept rich and good when you tend it. It encourages continual growth and maturity. The third part is that fruit-bearing is an essential mark of the kingdom. The kingdom 
bears fruit. And I don't know what areas of your life bear fruit. Have you got areas of your life that bear fruit? Maybe. I can be introspective and critical, and at times, definitely, I can be a bit devastated by the fruit. When situations, pressures, different things happen, maybe I don't model even what I preach. And that's a disappointment. And I can think about what the soil's like in those areas of my life as I introspect on that. And perhaps I know that I need to let God's word, the Bible, and his presence sink really deeply into those areas of my life. Maybe there's areas that are good, yeah, but maybe there's areas I need to pray more about, soak God's word in more. Maybe it's getting choked with worry and stress. Maybe it's just really dry. What are those areas in your life that you want God to speak the truth into and grow real fruits? But the last point on the parable is that the parable offers us tremendous hope. You see, there's assurance of harvest, even despite difficulties. Yeah, there's thorns and thistles. Yeah, there's dry patches. Yeah, there's all this difficulty, the birds snatching it and tearing it away. And you might experience all of those. Certainly, it's going to happen in other people's lives. But when you think about your own life, God assures you of a harvest if you let the word go deep into your life. Let God be the judge of the final product, of the harvest. He is the harvester. But make sure the ground is good. Make sure you're sowing. You see, it's a disproportionate harvest when you work with God. 30 times at minimum. That's an exceedingly good reward. Let alone 60 or 100 fold. Just keep that seed that God puts in your life. Keep bringing it in and pushing it really deep into your life. So as we wrap up and before, as the worship team are going to come back and just lead us in some worship and follow up, I hope that you're just encouraged to listen. Really, really listen. Listen to what Jesus has to say to you. Not these words, God's word. Maybe this summer, the next few weeks, get your Bible. Read through it. Read the parables. Pull them out. Try and list them all. And if they're not connecting with you, keep going, keep pushing on. And then when you hit one that engages you, stop, pray, absorb it, pray some more, read it more. Let it affect you, apply it. Psalm 1, let his word sink deep into your life and take roots, be rooted in it. And where there's difficulty and disappointment, dig deeper, just keep bringing God's word into that thing, whatever area of your life, just keep meditating and reading on God's word. So a parable is not just an illustration, it's a complete experience. You need to experience these parables in your life. They're designed to engage you and provoke you and encourage your response. You need to not just listen, don't just hear it like me in the shopping list, 
but let it go deep and apply it into your life. And the parable of the sower teaches us to ensure the ground and soil of our lives is rich and ready to receive God's word. So we're going to finish now. And uh, Michaela's going to lead us in some worship. Maybe the prayer team will come up. Um, I don't know what things you want just encouragement and support with, but um, the prayer team can do that for you. Uh, Do just make some time to hang out with them and just pray through anything you'd like to pray for. Um, But Michaela, back to you for some worship.